You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, welcome to The Devoted Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great week. So today, where am I going to go today? Well, one of my aims with the Devoted Podcast is to always make sure that I am pointing us to what the Bible says, and particularly important when we talk about things like who we are, all kinds of things, gender, identity things. We've touched on some of these things before, but when we are talking about who we are, who we're created to be, it's really important to go to the source, to go to the Word and see what it says. And we have to draw those lines, you know, making sure we're not going with who the world says we are. Maybe not even necessarily how we were raised to be, but what does God say? That's where we always want to point. What does the word say? Pretty clear, right? So we want to go to the source. Who does God, the one who actually created me, say that I am, that you are, that we are as women? So we want to go do this, like kind of going back to the manufacturer's instructions, if you will. I personally am really terrible at reading the instructions whenever anything you get something new. And I am amazingly married to a guy that I'm not kidding, guys. If it is a solar calculator that he buys, he's going to read the directions. I've never seen anyone read directions for everything so much. And I just don't do that very well. But now the calculator is a silly example. But when it comes to the like complex IKEA furniture or something that I feel like you almost need a PhD to construct. He is far more successful at making that piece of furniture last a lot longer. And he usually only has to put it together one time as opposed to the three times that I have. Well, okay, that's instructions, reading instructions. I'm not real great at that. Hopefully I'm better at reading the instructions that count and that's God's word. So today I want to do a little biblical word study with you guys. There are two words that I think for us as gals get the most bad press culturally and for sure from feminists. Oh, for sure. And the first one, no shock, is going to be the word submission when we see that in the New Testament. And and it's a theme throughout Scripture, but for sure in the New Testament as it talks about submission. I'm not going into that one today. I have before. I will probably do it again because I think it's such an important one. It's so misunderstood through the lens of the world. And when you rightly understand that term, it is such a get to and not a got to. If you're hearing me for the first time and that just is making you really scratch your head, just hang on a second, stick with us through the podcast, or maybe go back and listen to some past episodes that we've done on that. This is a really cool concept. But anyway, that's the first word, submission. Yeah, wow, no one really likes that. And they should, but they don't. The second word that I think really rubs some of us ladies the wrong way sometimes is found in the creation account. So I want to read you this verse where this first comes in. This is that going back to the manufacturer instructions of who we are created to be. And this is where we first see this word. It's in Genesis 2.18. And this is God. And he says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. There it is. Helper. Helper. Do we love that word? Not usually. Okay. I I don't know why this word kind of has gotten a bad rap for several reasons. We'll look at a couple of those. But this word helper, God created the earth. And after each thing he created, he responded with, it is good. 
it is good. He created the trees and the animals and all these things. And after each day, he replies and he says, he looks at his creation and he says, it is good. Things are going well. Well, then he comes to man and he creates man and he comes to the man and says, it is not good. Okay, we, we broke something in the chain. Everything was, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he comes to man and he says, it is not good. And he finishes the thought which says, it is not good that man should be alone. And then God replies with how he will fix that. And he says, I will make a helper fit for him. So let's first talk about what this word isn't. So this is the word that I want to dig into that, yep, people don't love, but I think we need to give this word a another look and the word helper. So let's talk about what it isn't because here he says that I will make a helper fit for him. Now God could have chosen any word he wanted to describe what he was about to create. He could have said, we'll just create another man. We'll create another Adam. We'll have twins. You know, it'll be great. He wouldn't have been alone, you know, because that was the first part of the problem. He says that it is not good that man should be alone. So there's that problem. So he could have done this however he saw fit. He could have just created another identical. Adam could have been twins in the garden and we would have been all good. But that isn't what he did. I think this is interesting. And I want to camp on this for just a sec because culturally right now, everything has to be 100% equal. I mean, there can be no distinction to crazy, crazy levels that I never fathomed that we would see ever. But partially, I think because of the popularity, and I kind of do want to say the word popularity, because culture is trying to make it really cool and celebrated the issue of gender confusion and gender dysphoria and, and the different issues where people are going, well, well, maybe I'm not a girl, maybe I am not a boy. And, and as if that can be determined by a social construct of something that we can just decide that. But it's kind of a popular thing. This is a thing that we can celebrate someone for their bravery in identifying in something that they are not. It's just opposed to reality. But because of that, it's kind of brought this 100% equal, no distinction between even genders, that we even go so far as to, we have to note that there's no distinction between men and women in their ability to bear children. Did you guys see that in the news? This one stunned me. I read it in, it was in Newsweek in June. That was the first time I saw this, where it said the White House in their 2022 fiscal budget, they replaced the word mothers with birthing people in a section where they were talking about public health funding. What? Okay, guys, just in case you missed that, they're actually saying that you can't say mothers, and they were referencing funding that was going towards public health. You can't call them mothers. We need to call them birthing people. Folks, I don't care what anyone says. There is no way anyone other than a woman is going to bear children. Men are men. Women are women. The Bible says so. And this is just ridiculous. That's not even just saying that is not popular. And that's not okay to say. But that is just fact. There's a lot of things that I'm probably going to say that I'll I'll make a mistake and I, I could be wrong on some things. This is one I'm very 100% certain. I'm not going to be wrong on this. Men are men, women are women, and women are the only ones that can bear children. So where all of this has gotten a little bit nuts with we have to have everything equal and everything, there can't be distinctions even between genders. So this takes us back to Genesis. God created man. He gave him work to do. Adam, he was placed in the garden to work and keep it, it says in Genesis 
I love this because God gave him something to do. And I think that chronology is important too because God tasked Adam with work before the fall. Work was not the result of the curse, but the fact that there would be thorns and thistles and, you know, that work would be hard, basically. That was the result of the fall. But work itself wasn't the curse, just that it was going to be more difficult. It was going to be hard. So back to women. We know from Genesis 1.27 that we are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created them, it says. So to look for this absolute equality between men and women here is where you're going to find it. In this soul issue that we are created in the image of God, we are equal in image bearing. We have God's stamp on us, if you will. He created both men and women in the image of God. And this is so big. This is why we all have innate value as humans, because we bear the stamp of God. We are image bearers. So when we are looking for 100% equality, that's where it's going to come in, is in our equality of being equal image bearers of God. But women, okay, let's drill this down a little bit. Why were we created at all? Like I said, God can do anything that he wants. He saw Adam. He saw that Adam was alone, and he could have just made another man. But... Him being alone wasn't the only issue. And it says in 2.20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And God says this right after, or this says in the Genesis account after he, they go through all the animals and they're seeing all the things that are there. But the hippopotamus and Adam, it's just, it's not super helpful together. They don't complement each other very well. So God recognizes that, yes, the first problem is that he's alone, but that the second problem was that there was no one suitable to help him. So this first problem with Adam being alone, and I do want to mark though that God does say this is a problem, because I do think that this is a caution to the lone rangers out there that think they can charge along and be fruitful in their lives alone. And I think it's worthwhile for us to recognize that God said that it is not good that man should be alone. We could go to all kinds of different scriptures that talk about fellowship and the idea that we need to be with one another. We need to be sharpening one another. We need to go through adversity together, those verse in Proverbs that talks about that. But we are not to live alone. And it sounds like it's simple and maybe it's oversaid right now, but particularly coming from a little bit of an isolating season as 2020 was, there have been, there still are folks that are largely still very alone. Some of them for legitimate reasons that they have to, others have been overcome by fear and they continue to be alone and not with others and not with other people. I just wanted to highlight this from Genesis where it says, it is not good that man be alone. So something there. But the second one that he says, there was not a helper fit for him. So here's where I want to dig into this word helper a bit. God acknowledges that man on his own by himself is not complete, that he needs someone to help him. When I was thinking about this, I remember the independence and a little bit strong-willed sense of my sweet two-year-old was my my middle son, Caden, who was just such a dear. He didn't start walking until he was close to two. Like we were about a month 
away from the doctor going, yep, there's going to need to be some physical therapy here because, and we knew he physically could do it. He just really enjoyed his older brother doing all the things for him. But when he did turn that turn and he started to walk, I can't even tell you guys how long it took to get from point A to point B. But we're trying to encourage him to walk, right? Plus, he was just a giant child at two years old. He was definitely my biggest kiddo. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> you need to walk. And I needed to encourage him to walk. But I would remember walking from the car into a store. And what do you do when you've got your little guy and, you know, it's a busy parking lot and all that kind of stuff. And so you put your hand down to help him and I'd say, okay, Cade, take my hand. Let me help you. And it became a thing and you because you would start the long walk into the store, it took a really long time. But sitting there, I would try to hold his hand and after about five steps or five minutes, I'm not sure, it seemed kind of like the same, he would pull his hand away and he would hold his other hand. So he'd clasp his hands together and he'd say, I hold myself. I hold myself, mom. He didn't want the help. He wanted to do it himself. Now in this scenario, Caden's other hand is not a helper fit for him busy parking lot. We need to get safely from the car to the store. And that's what we do as moms. We help our kids get in. But we have this tendency sometimes, and I saw this with him, no, I'll just do it myself. But let's look at what this word in Genesis 2.18 that God uses when he says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the first thing you're going to have to do, and this could be a little bit of a mental exercise for you, but you need to take your English speaking thoughts captive here because we have a bunch of social constructs that just kind of obscure what this word is. Okay, like what? Well, first of all, go back to my example with my middle child. It feels childish. That's what we think a helper type is. You know, we say mommy or daddy's little helper. And it feels condescending and it's, but it's something that we use for small children. So that's our first thing with culturally, I think that we attach to that word is that it's kind of a childish word. The other one I think is just a cultural stigma in general of being the help. It's kind of that role that you're in if you're not the main thing, but you just kind of help out, whether you're the help at an event or you're helping with the meal or whatever. Yeah, you know, you're just the help. And so we've kind of made it sound like it's a diminishing role. It's definitely, according to our cultural norms, it's secondary and subservient position. That's kind of how we view this word helper. So what is this word in the Hebrew? So when you look at what that original word is, guys, I just think this is fascinating. So I hope this doesn't bore you guys too much, but I think it's important to see what this word actually means. Because when in Genesis 2.18, when it's saying that I will find a helper fit for him, the word is etzer, probably completely destroying that word, but that's kind of the way you would pronounce it, E-Z-E-R. Interesting, interesting word that just about has nothing to do with any of those three cultural issues that I just brought up to you a second ago. So the obvious definition that it comes from, yes, it is an assistant or one who assists or serves another with something that is needed. That's kind of the textbook definition with that. The word also has a connotation of strength in the help and power to accomplish a task. So, okay, maybe your world is not totally rocked by my definition there, but I think the way that we can see how this bears out in scripture is to look at the other places in scripture where this word is used. Because this same word, whether it's the root or a different verb tense, if you will, for it, this same word is used in several places in scripture, 
some translation depends on what it's on, but it's like 38 times. And sometimes it is in a human to human capacity of a person helping another. But check out these scriptures. I'm going to read you guys several of these and hear the same word that is used and how and who it's talking about. Start with Deuteronomy 33, 7. And this he said of Judah, hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him in to his people with your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. Okay. Psalm 70, verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. Okay. Psalm 121, 1 through 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help at Sarah come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Are you guys catching a trend yet? Okay, Psalm 27, 9. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Psalm 63, 7. Okay, so lots there, several in the Psalms, and there's more I could read, where it is talking about help. It's using that same word at Zer, but who is it talking about? It's talking about God. God, that just 46, 1, that one that said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. That's who we're talking about is God. So, I'll give you a couple more because there's those. And then there's other times where it's using more of the strength and might sense of the word, still using that Edzer word. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is the help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 115, 9 through 10. So several of these where that strength connotation is coming in, but every one of these guys that I've mentioned to you so far, and to be fair, like I mentioned, this is not always talking about the Lord. It's not always talking about God. At times, it's talking about a person's help one to another or a country that was helping the nation of Judah or something like that. But the same word is used talking about God. So I think it would be fair to say that as you read those scriptures, it's going to be difficult for you to put that cultural construct you have of what how we define help, how we look at a helper, and put that lens on God. This just doesn't look like our English-American 2021 understanding. Is it childish? Would you call God childish for coming to our help and being our help, our strength, and our rescue, and our shield? I don't think so. Is it subservient or less than or diminished? Again, this is a term that is often used for God in the Bible. So I'm not comfortable affixing our modern understanding of this word to God. I don't know if I read it, but I'll read it again if I didn't. Psalm 118.7 says, The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look and triumph on those who hate me. The Lord is on my side and is my helper. These are words of encouragement. These are words that really just speak to us that the Lord is the one that fights our battles. But it's a mighty word. It's a strong word that's being used here of how the Lord helps us. Same word. So maybe my definition didn't blow you away, but I hope seeing these contexts of where this word is also used throughout scripture to then go, okay, wait a minute. Does my social understanding, does my maybe you know, eye roll of this term helper, 
does that match what's really in the Bible and what's really being talked about? And I think this is important for us to look at because this is when we talk about the creation account, this is talking about why we were created. The whole reason the Lord came up with this idea to make woman was because Adam was alone and number two, he didn't have a helper. So that's what we were created for. So it's important to get what that word is. If it's the sole reason that you were created and how you're to function, then it's probably pretty important to know what that word really means. So seeing that biblically, this defining reason for our creation was a helper, what does that look like? First, I have to just say that even if being a helper meant all the things that we culturally place on it, and when I say that, I'm referring to those like diminishing, childish, but condescending type lens that we put on that word. I just need to say that even if that is what the Bible was meaning by helper, we as women devoted to God's word need to say absolutely yes and sign me up. So because this is where the rubber meets the road with being women either kind of devoted to God's word and actually wholly devoted to God's word. His design and instructions to us do not have to be your favorite. They don't have to be what feels good. They don't have to be what looks how we envisioned our life to be. If they are how and what the creator of all things said they should be, then we could save ourselves all kinds of grief by just choosing his ways that are higher than our ways over our own. So I want to just mention this and throw that out there because sometimes I feel like there's this thing where and I've heard this from some, that we have to understand the Greek or the Hebrew of the word so that we can really obey what scripture is telling us. I'm certainly not arguing for ignorance on what the Bible says. No, that's not going to be something you're going to hear me say. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given understanding and application of God's word that contains his design and order for our lives. And I think you can do all of those things without understanding what every nuance and what every Greek and Hebrew word means. So this is sort of going in the reverse of that. Sometimes people take things that they don't like and see they define it. See, well, this is what the Greek really means. And so women, we don't have to do such and such because that's not what they meant in the Greek. Well, in this case, it's sort of turning that on its head because we as culture look at this word helper and go, oh, that's terrible. We don't, we don't want to do that. But then when you actually look at what scripture is meaning by that word helper, I think this is something not only that we can sign up for and culturally get excited about, but we also just must be excited about because this is what God's word says. And so I'm a broken record on this one, gals, because it's just one of those things that regardless of if it feels good, regardless of if we think that's what we want, that takes a way secondary role to what we are called to do as we obey God's word. Now, I've shown you guys how in, you know, in this case, our cultural understanding is askew from what the Bible says. But what I hope is that we have that even if kind of faith in the God we serve, that even if we don't like the meaning of a word, that's okay. We're still down with it. But we tend in our flesh to want to make sure we're recognized And maybe this is the real rub for us where being called a helper comes from. Maybe this is the crux of the matter, if you will. If I work out for an hour, somehow it feels like that needs to be recognized. I need to tell someone that I did that. And this can't just be me because they've actually done entire platforms over this, right? Your your Apple Watch, it's going to give you a badge if you do a certain number of 
walks in a week. Your Fitness Pal app is going to congratulate you and tell you what a great job you did for completing your exercise or whatever it is. But we really love this recognition. It's, it's kind of like, please someone see what I did just there. You know, please someone just recognize that. Or maybe if you're recapping your day with your husband, for some reason, it feels really necessary to say, this is how many diapers that I changed. And this is how many errands I ran. And this is how many rooms I vacuumed or or at work telling your boss. And oh, by the way, I did this thing that you didn't ask me to do. But you know, I did that. And we sort of have this knee jerk reaction to just, we just want recognition for something. What's at the bottom of that? Like, if you really think about it, when you're trying to get recognized for something, what is the root of that? And this isn't hard to figure out, right? It's sin and specifically pride. I love it. G.K. Chesterton said, all evil began with some attempt at superiority. And then he also said in another place that the common thread of sin is pride. That's a whole podcast right there. That's probably like a series of podcasts because how true is that? That the common thread of sin is pride and you can start tracing where pride came from all the way back to Satan himself in the fall. And he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be higher than God. And we can look at that with Eve. You know, she wanted her eyes to be enlightened. She wanted to know she wanted, but there was an elevation there. There was the idea that we want to have our understanding be higher, but it always comes back to us. And there's a pride and there's a superiority to it, but we want to be recognized. I love the example of Eliezer in the Bible. So if you're not familiar with the story of Eliezer, you first see him, I think, in Genesis 15, and he's introduced as just Abraham's servant. But he was such Abraham's right-hand guy that, you know, when Abraham was not having the heirs that he thought he was supposed to have, he said, God, just let Eliezer, my servant, be my heir. They talk about that in Genesis 15. I find it interesting that Eliezer's name, you can hear this at Zer in it. See, if I was probably pronouncing Eliezer with a real Hebrew accent, then that would probably sound differently. But the spelling of it, you see at Zer in it. And his name means help of my God. And then when you get to Genesis 24, there's this great story of Eliezer going and getting Rebecca as a wife for Isaac. And it's just maybe tonight before you go to bed, pull out Genesis 24 and just read this story. Because there's there was such faithfulness in the Lord as Eliezer follows the instructions of his master. He goes where Abraham tells him. And the Lord just perfectly lays out this plan that then brings Rebecca back for Isaac as his wife. And it's this beautiful story. Help of my God is his name. Just going to remind you of that. But what was interesting to me as I read Genesis 24 is you don't see Eliezer's name in there. His name, specifically naming him, it's not present. It identifies him as Abraham's steward or servant, but it doesn't say, hey, here's my faithful servant, Eliezer. Look at him. Look what he did. But instead, that chapter is definitely about how the Lord provided, and then the focus is on God, not on Eliezer. But I just kind of thought this was interesting that there's this implication from the story of Eliezer in Genesis 24 that helping doesn't look to put its own name on something. And that's definitely the case that you see there. Being a helper, it's just not necessarily going to get you the notoriety or the press of how awesome you are. But 
please don't miss the essential nature of this role. This is so essential that it's the only thing that God said as he was going through all of his creation that when he looked at man that was alone, he said, it's not good. The only thing. So the fact that there needed to be a companion for Adam and there needed to be a helper for him should be elevated as of vital importance. So key is this role of helper that over and over in scripture, we're told that God is our help. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is also called the helper. Different word, of course, because it's Greek and the meaning gives him different roles for sure. But as it relates to not being the one in the main light, that's the Holy Spirit. He's absolutely a member of the triune God, but his function within that, within the Trinity, is he points to Jesus and he functions in a role that often we don't even know it's the Holy Spirit doing it. I think that's one of the amazing things about that. Conversely, however, when the order gets messed up and something becomes all about the Holy Spirit, you're going to see disorder in the church. And why is that? It's because it's not the order that God created. Order matters. And I've talked about that in other episodes, or maybe it was a devoted live. I'm not totally sure. And perhaps we might do another full episode on just order. I actually forget sometimes what I have covered and haven't. But as I pray through what the Lord has for the podcast, I'm happy to repeat whatever he tells me to. So disclaimer there if I cover something more than once, but I need the refreshers. We all do. So how do we make being helper cool again? I don't know if that's really a thing, but I'd like to make like creation cool. Taking out the social constructs of the all the things, the lenses that we put on this word and that we, we don't really like it. That's not really, yeah, I'd rather be the one in the limelight. I would rather the one with the notoriety and the recognition. Scratch that. Let's see, how do we make being helper cool again? So when we understand how the Lord intended it as our role, as one of assistance to another, but it has the strength and might that's associated to it. I think that is something that we need to not forget in this. This is not a wilting flower role. When you read Proverbs 31, talking about a woman who is to be praised and the excellency of that woman, she's not weak, guys. She is strong and diligent, and she is busy about the work that the Lord has given her. And that, if you can just go through that and picture what that kind of woman looks like, picture that as being the helper with skin on. Like, what would that look like? So I think we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to be a helper? If you are married, how can you help your husband with what he's doing? It might not happen every day, but I do try to ask Chris every day, what can I help you with today? How can I help you? What can I do? And depending on, you know, what is helpful to your husband at times. Sometimes you might not even have to ask. It's helpful if the house is not a complete disaster that is helpful for him. It could just be a small thing, like keeping something cleaned up or whatever, or maybe it's a different task that he has. But just asking that question, how can I help? And not asking it from a Make sure you're noticing that I'm asking you to be helping. I mean, you know, this is pretty cool of me that I'm asking. No, no, no. Do this from the heart, from the place of this is who I was created to be. How can I help you? What can I do to help you? Or if you're at work, how can you be of help there? 
I think that we as women, since creation, since Genesis tells us that we were created to be helpers, I don't think that that is something that is going to be classified just to one just to married women or just to single women or just to someone who works in a church. Nope. How can you be of help wherever you are? If you feel yourself even getting indignant at the very idea of asking or looking for how you can help, like as I'm saying this, if you're kind of just cringing, we just got to repent of that. Ask yourself what is at the root of your resistance to sitting in that helper role? And if it comes back to pride or credit or recognition, we're on the wrong track. We need to rein that in. So here's what I think is so cool about making helper cool again. It really needs a better slogan than that, but that's all I got for you. One of the things that I love about this is the obvious one that you'll be in obedience of God's design for you. I think that's the biggest thing. When you are sitting into the place that it's real clear and black and white, this is what he created you to be, you'll be walking in God's design for you totally according to the manufacturer's instructions, you are going to know that this is what he called you to do. And the second one is kind of a flow of or a a result of that first one of being in obedience with God. You just will have peace. It's when we buck against the manufacturer's instructions that things just don't go quite together. When we think that we know so much better about how we are to function in the family or in society or at work or in church, if it is out of line with God, it's going to have friction. You know how when there's, if you play music at all or whatever, but if if there's a chord that it has just one note that's off just a little bit and it creates that dissonance, it's kind of like it just hurts your ears. Sometimes I think that as women, when we buck against this role of being a helper and how we can function in every facet of our life with that mindset, that I feel like we are composing this song that's just filled with dissonant chords. It's not a pretty song. It's really not. And it's really, it's marring what God created us to be. Those two things I mentioned, that walking in obedience with God's design for you, the outflow of that is just peace. Elizabeth Elliot said this. She said, the fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. And I love that quote because here's the thing. If you kind of take up this challenge with me to make helper cool again, you're going to be 100% different. Oh, yes. You're going to be a very different kind of woman in today's standing for sure. You're going to be weird. Some may even view you as weak and ignorant, but Roman says, let God be true and every man a liar. I would take what the word is telling me over what the world is lying to me about, about who I am any day. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'd rather be in step with the all-knowing and eternal God, what he calls me to be, than the temporary and fleeting trends of who the world says I am. So pray about that. Pray about how you can be a help and ask the Lord if there's areas that you need to shore this up and if there's issues of pride or things that you've kind of let sink in on why we want to be recognized for things. Let's put that aside because it truly is such a joy to walk in obedience to what the Lord has created you to be. There's no dissonance in the chord. It's just a beautiful song. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. 
For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.